is uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Last year, investors poured $5 billion into cybersecurity startups. The whole industry will be worth $170 billion in three years, according to a recent estimate. There's so many InfoSec companies, it's hard to keep track of. And yet, are we all really secure? Is the InfoSec industry really keeping us safe? And is it even focusing on the right problems? Next week, tens of thousands of people will meet in San Francisco for the year's biggest information security gathering focused on business, the RSA Conference. Kelly Shortridge is the Vice President of Product Strategy at Capsule 8, a New York City-based security startup. Kelly has a background in economics, investment banking, and has studied the InfoSec market. She's here today to help us understand why the InfoSec industry is so big and what's wrong with it. I'm Ben Maku, and this is Cyber. So, tell me about this overly inflated cybersecurity marketplace. Yeah, it's pretty nuts, huh? Um, There's a huge problem right now in the information security industry, which is namely that uh, these startups aren't actually solving problems that security practitioners have. They're mostly chasing what uh, particularly buzzwords Uh, But also problems seem important to venture capitalists rather than the ones that customers really feel a strong need for, um, which is obviously a bad thing for the industry. So, yeah, hit me with some of those buzzwords. We talking like, you know, synergy, corporate synergy, like that kind of thing. What are some of these buzzwords in the InfoSec market? Earlier today, I actually just published the 2019 edition of my InfoSec startup buzzword bingo card, which includes words like automation, uh, comprehensive, actionable insights, obviously threat, intelligence, uh, trying to think of others. Scalable is a big one. Scalable is one I, I just hear constantly. Yes. And obviously machine learning and AI, we can't forget about that. I mean, that's just, that's just it never stops. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, oh, and optimizing. So as I joked, you know, if your product isn't optimizing something, what are you even doing? You don't actually have to say like, oh, we're optimizing for X. You just have to say it's optimized. That's the key. It's interesting. It's almost like these pseudo militaristic terms. I think that's right. I think it's uh, appealing to a certain um, sort of ego and maybe, you know, I think it's it's not perhaps an unpopular opinion to suggest that security professionals often want to see themselves as heroes in the organization's story. And so having these very kind of like big, powerful words uh, can, you know, one, for example, is empower that inherently has the word power in it, right? Um, so I think a lot of times there's the the challenge between security people often being the gatekeepers at these organizations while also, frankly, feeling somewhat helpless because they aren't able to get as much as they want done. So would you say, in effect, that this this kind of, this this parlance, this, this overinflatedness, is it creating problems rather than actually solving any? Is it sort of like, are we looking at like so this sort of the dot-com bust on the horizon for cybersecurity companies? I'm skeptical that there's a bubble. I mean, it, the fact of the matter is the most, uh, the vast majority of startups fail, and I don't think information security is particularly special in that regard. What I will say is I completely agree. It's causing more problems than it's actually helping. I think very few startups in the ecosystem are actually, again, solving real problems. Instead, they're 
spreading FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt to try to uh, get the customer to believe that the problem that this solution is solving is worth their time, but it isn't actually. So then you have a bunch of shelfware, all these tools that cost millions of dollars that people don't end up using, or worse, it costs them you know, countless hours of, um, you know, countless man hours every month just to maintain them, and nothing actually gets better. Are you willing to name some names on some of these companies? I am not. Uh, I am gainfully employed by uh, actually an InfoSec startup in which I actually believe. Um, so I wouldn't <laughs> want to jeopardize any potential relationships there. But I will say if you hear companies, again, if, if you're reasonably attuned to the security industry and you can't figure out what a company does from, let's say, the first half of the main splash page on their website, I'd be skeptical. And what's your background? It's a bit unusual and it's perhaps why I focus so much on things like buzzwords and the actual dynamics of the market and venture capitalists is I started my career in investment banking as a mergers and acquisitions banker covering information security as well as data analytics. And then I started my own startup, which was acquired and then have been in product roles on the security vendor side. But along the way, um, I've studied a lot of the kind of behavioral economics dynamics of the industry. And there's just a whole mess of uh, misaligned incentives. So it it blends pretty perfectly with looking at the finance side of things. Misaligned incentives. Yes. Okay. We know we're somebody from Wall Street over here. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But I mean, obviously, I'm sure in your your past, you you tried to find inefficiencies. Yes, uh, absolutely. So uh, the economics term would be market failures. Um, and certainly given the kind of high tension, high risk nature of information security, it makes people more prone to cognitive biases, which is exactly what marketing people want, right? You want people to be scared. You want them to be making these kind of uh, fast, unconscious decisions motivated by their emotions. And so things like buzzwords, there's a reason why people actually use them. Like, like the word, the term cyber. I mean, it wasn't too too long ago, probably by about 2015, 2014 even, I started seeing sort of these, all these ex-NSA chiefs, all these ex-DHS, CIA, et cetera, et cetera. And there were all, some of them had no technical background in actual InfoSec. And suddenly they were, they were touting this idea of cybersecurity and how this is the next you know, like the cyber Pearl Harbor quote by Panetta. Oh, man. It just sort of kicked off this frenzy. And then all of a sudden you started seeing these 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 InfoSec companies just popping out of nowhere. And then you started seeing cybersecurity or the cybersecurity industrial complex kind of replacing the military industrial complex so much to the extent that you'd start seeing actual advertisements for cybersecurity in these sort of extremely militaristic terms in places like the Beltway or in in train stations in D.C., trying to specifically advertise to DOD and to CIA and to to sort of feed this this ecosystem of ex-government going into private sector and creating what is now a multi-multi-million dollar industry. It's interesting. The Beltway ecosystem, I would actually say, is somewhat self-contained and reasonably separate from Silicon Valley. It's um, it's not a dirty secret. It's pretty well known that selling into the government is even worse than selling into big banks as far as just insanely long sales cycles. It's very unreliable. You have to jump through all these hoops compliance-wise. So most early-stage startups probably aren't going the Fed route. Um, But the Beltway, again, you do see a lot of former government people solving problems that are very specific to what they experienced in their prior uh, careers. So, again, it's its own little ecosystem. 
So now banks are are the prime sort of target for some of these new startups or these new infosec community or new infosec companies. Absolutely. So uh, big bank environments are considered some of the most complex as far as security challenges. So uh, if you get one of their logos on your, you know, testimonial section of your website, you're considered pretty golden. But again, the sales cycles are pretty long. That's starting to shift. I would say that was definitely true five years ago. But now having one of the tech giants uh, logo on your page is about equivalent. And so how big is this industry? Totally. Like in totality, give me a number. It's above 50 billion. I've heard anywhere between 50 billion and 100 billion. Wow. It's it's massive. As far as VC funding, I mean, it was just over 5 billion last year alone. I mean, now you're seeing some some commercials on on major networks describing hackers and cybersecurity. I mean, places where you would have seen a Bud Light ad. Right. <laughs> replacing it. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a good thing that there aren't too many consumer-facing information security startups because I think the level of understanding about security is even less on the consumer side than the enterprise side. So again, that presents the opportunity for somewhat pernicious marketing to sell people snake oil. Um, but the consumer market... But that isn't to say that there's not snake oil being sold elsewhere. Uh, that's absolutely true. I think uh, there have been a few interesting studies showing that I think a lot of users expect... Uh, the organizations and services they use to provide the security and not have to consume it themselves. So I think that's the saving grace of too much FUD on the consumer side. Because that's the thing is, is on the other side, it's just this this business plan that seems to sort of tailor to people's lack of complete knowledge on cyber. And they want like a, a one size fits all remedy. And this goes even to people who are working in big time companies. They just want to be able to buy something where it's the cyber and, you know, you're covered. Everything, the threat landscape is covered. Exactly. Everybody wants that magic blinky box that solves all their problems. I think fundamentally people don't focus enough on the fact that overall security processes at enterprises are really broken, just fundamentally broken. The mentalities are often broken. Again, blaming users rather than understanding how to fit security into their workflows and then still banging your head against the wall. And they hope that technology will fix everything, but it can't. At a certain point, you can hire as many people as you want and buy as many fancy gadgets as you want. But if you aren't using the people or the tech the right way, you're not going to get anywhere. I mean, tell me about disclosure as well, because I think a lot, I mean, some of these problems that have that have existed in this in this space for a while has been that companies are really embarrassed to come out and say that they've had problems. I mean, is, does that that amount of secrecy and fear kind of ratchet up this industry further? It's an interesting problem because my contrarian opinion is that breaches don't really matter that much for enterprises. If we look at even Equifax, but Target mostly has entirely recovered from the breach they had. And that's the one where it affected their sales even perceptibly. For the most part, the stock goes down maybe 1% the first day and bounces back up by a week later. So most of the time, a big breach becoming public isn't actually any sort of death knell for the company. Fundamentally, the the stickiest part of the budget is always compliance, uh, which is the least sexy part of the industry. So you see very little startup attention there. Um, And frankly, the security people don't want to work on compliance stuff. And that's part of the reason why they want to focus on all the really sexy technology because they want to feel like, oh, I'm not just doing a PCI audit. You know, I'm stopping the Russian hackers from using O'Day against, you know, my, you know, 1,000 nodes in the middle of nowhere. 
it's it's been a it's we've been speaking now for about 10 minutes and finally we hit the russian hacker buzzword. <laughs> yes yes <laughs> that that should be its own category you know it's one interesting shift is everybody used to want to claim that a nation state has hacked them to your point because it's a lot less embarrassing if it's a government-sponsored entity hacking you but now in with cyber insurance there are carve-outs where you can't actually get any payout if it was a nation state because it's technically, you know, an act of war. And so it's not covered by insurance. So now companies really care about attribution the other way where they want to prove, no, it wasn't actually a nation state. It was a criminal group. So we deserve our insurance payout. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So you're, you're going to RSA soon? Yes. Next week, right? It is next week. Or this week, because this will air this week at RSA. Yes, yes. <laughs> We're coming at you from the future. Yes, I am at RSA already. You are at RSA right now. Mm-hmm. What do you expect from it? Oh man, so it's 40,000 people. So I don't expect much other than you know crazy crowds, um, lots of marketing gimmicks, buzzwords flying every direction at you and very little substance being spoken. I will say that the main value I personally find from RSA is just it's everybody goes and so you can meet a bunch of people in one place. I think I've been going since 2013 and every year I find less and less utility in checking out, you know, what's the newest and latest technologies. I think the the last wave that was actually interesting was um, what are called the Caspies, the cloud um, access security brokers, which they've mostly all been acquired other than Netscope. But lately, there hasn't been another kind of big wave of, you know, sexy innovation in the space. So RSA is mostly just, oh, I've already heard of all of these. I know the pitch. I know the buzzwords. So You sound like you need to calm down because you sound wildly enthusiastic about I know. the RSA conference. <laughs> I know. I think uh, there are very few people I know outside of sales and marketing that actually get super hyped about it. Some of the parties are pretty okay, but... Uh, Good luck it's a hacker finding. party. It's exactly. A hacker party. But I mean, it's even good luck finding a hotel under, you know, $500. Yeah. I mean, we've all been to DEF CON. Uh, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, how fun can it actually be? Yeah. I mean, DEF CON at least um, has a little more character. I feel like RSA is if you had the, the most bland cardboard version of our industry possible. <laughs> wow. I hope, I really hope some RSA organizers... Heard you say that and run into you now at RSA just to see. I do have a press pass because I have written about RSA and specifically companies in the innovation sandbox before. So, um, what, what was what did you call it? The a, a paper a cardboard box of what? Uh, oh, that's a I, I forget my exact phrasing, but it is um the cardboard cutout version. I'm not sure. It's a, basically just a very dull. If you stripped away all of the fun and excitement of, you know, finding vulnerabilities or working on really awesome technology to actually protect users and you just distilled it into its stickiest, you know, worst substance, I feel like that's RSA. Damn. All right. 
But most customers Stoked go. I'm not so, going. Yeah, I gotta yeah. say, after that endorsement, I think unless you're really trying to uh, sell or put yourself out there as a vendor, it's not necessarily worth going. There, there is value if you're a security practitioner. You can kind of scope out all the vendors in one place. Um, but I personally think they need kind of you know a quiet, kind of like this room, a quiet little booth so you can rent out so you can escape all of the noise and madness for a little bit and then go back out into the vendor hall. So speaking of which, you know, this sort of boom in, in InfoSec companies, you know, our, our uh, InfoSec reporters, Joseph Cox and Lorenzo, both just get inundated with emails all the time advertising these companies. I mean, I myself get a bunch as well. I, I know Huawei is not the same thing, but I, I've been getting hit up by Huawei like it's, like it's a bad X in the last like four days. Wow. And I know a lot of those companies... Are doing the same thing. They're like, come on, come and talk to our new CEO. Come exactly. and talk to. We got this. It's check out this product. It's AI. It'll read your mind, protect your email. You, don't worry, you're great. What is the deal with that? Does, it doesn't work. We don't care. I don't. It must work on someone because why else would they do it? I was actually curious. Now that I have the RSA press pass, I've been receiving those emails. I think the most amazing. Uh, and I use that word in a very specific meaning. A uh, phrase I saw was radical math. There's a company. You know, radical like, math? Using radical math, which sounds like, you know, someone trying to teach math to kids in the 90s. Um, and it was it's by a Dr. Smart. So Dr. Smart teaches radical math, I guess. Um, but when you read something like that, it's very hard to want to then take the meeting. But very few, it was clear that they're blasting these out. There was nothing kind of personalized about the emails. It's all just kind of the the buzzword uh, you know, it was, uh, one of my friends had snake oil served over word salads in an email form, and there's nothing particularly compelling about it. I mean, I think the craziest thing is when you don't get back to some of these press releases, they, like, follow up. And they're like, hey, well, why didn't you, like, you don't want to talk to us? Like, what's the oh, deal? No. And you're, you're just like, you're the worst PR person ever. Have you ever spoken to a journalist before? <laughs> if we didn't answer you, I mean... Only one reason for that, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's um, it sounds a little bit like nice guy behavior. Like, why aren't you noticing me? Hey, pay attention to me. I'm entitled to your time. Yeah, or like, or, or I, I just recently read an article on Vice, and it was really interesting. It's about um, women who get who break up with men and get these really insane text messages mm-hmm. back, saying terrible things. Uh, it's almost like that, except I didn't even break up with them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, there's definitely some. I think there's a a lot of elements of toxic marketing. And that's not to say marketing is actually useful. Marketing works. It gets the attention. So if someone is legitimately searching for a problem, things like SEO actually work because hopefully they can find the solution to their problem. The issue is when your solution isn't actually solving a problem, the only thing you can do to actually sell is really insane marketing and aggressive sales tactics rather than just speaking hopefully reasonably plainly about the technology. Obviously, everyone dresses us up a bit. But at a certain point, you know, either your product passes the test or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, I think the the scary thing is these companies have enough self-awareness that they overcompensate on the sales and marketing side. Okay, so you have your crystal ball in front of you. Mm-hmm. Where do you see this this whole industry going right now? The next, I'm going to give you a time scale. Let's say 10 years. 10 years? Uh well, by that point, uh, will we have to shut down our data centers due to climate change? <laughs> I think it's hard to say. In, ah, the next, in the next few years, what I can say touche. is that... <laughs> That's good. Yeah, there, there are a bunch of startups that have, frankly, just been entirely overfunded. They received 
you know, Series B, sometimes Series C rounds, um, when their sales were still comprised only of their personal networks. They hadn't really tested it in the broader market. And so, you know, generally there will be kind of a mercy round by existing investors say, listen, this is your last shot to try to make it. But at a certain point, they're not going to keep just throwing money into a hole, though they do do that for a surprisingly long time. So I think over the next two to three years, some of those will get M&A exits, but not all of them will. And for our listeners who don't know what an M&A exit is, what is it exactly? Yes. So uh, a recent example would be Cisco acquiring uh, Duo Security. So it's when a generally larger company acquires a generally smaller company, either for cash or equity, particularly if it's a publicly traded stock. And quite often, you usually don't get your return value if that's what happens. It, it depends. So Duo Security absolutely did. But sometimes, and particularly if you don't see a specific amount of uh, the purchase price announced, you know that it's... So in, in finance, there's this concept of materiality. So if, let's say again with Cisco, if they buy Duo Security, I think it was for $2.35 that is material to their earnings. It's, it's important to their investors. So they have to say what the price is. But if it had been for $20 million, eh, it's Cisco. They don't really have to say what that price was. So that's that's kind of a test you can use to determine, um, particularly if you kind of have inside info into the last valuation by venture capitalists, whether or not there was a good return. So this is to say you think there's going to be sort of this consolidation of some of these smaller companies in the next few years. Some consolidation, I think we'll still see in some ways more fragmentation, particularly as we see like the private equity giants scooping up um, some of the big players, you either see more consolidation, um, which I think is is frankly likely, or you see that they're trying to, quote unquote, differentiate themselves more in the market. So I think if I had a crystal ball, I that would be really helpful because right now I can see it going a few different ways. I definitely, the thing I'm certain of is the fact that many startups will not see successful exits. And the question is what happens then? And I think a lot of these, as I mentioned in the TechCrunch article, there are 75% of all investors in information security startups in 2018 only invested in one security startup. They're not experts in the space. They're just, you know, dabbling in it because it's a hot thing and they saw a headline in the Wall Street Journal. So I think most of those investors go away and the ones who are experts can kind of judge quality a little better and they'll stay. I think it's similar to what we saw overall in tech where you saw people like Google coming out, right? Um, because the investors that stayed and really understood tech understood what the quality was. So I'm a doom and gloom reporter. Mm -hmm. Is there a crash at all in in insight? Um, I think it depends what you mean by a crash. I think in the next, if let's say next three years, it will be harder for some security companies to raise more funding. I, I think the the just huge pile of money that's generally continuously available will that's just being burned right now. <laughs> yeah, you can think of it that way. Uh, that's for sure. Um, it certainly feels that way to some CISA. So I think um, it's going to be harder to raise money at a certain point. I don't think that's even necessarily this year. I think it's in a few years when investors have to really see, hey, I'm not getting a return. Remember the VC. Um, time horizon is anywhere between five to seven years. So there's kind of a lag between when you know a startup's going to fail and when you really feel that it's failed. Ergo, the, you know, the, the InfoSec bonfire investment will probably go out. It's possible. If you ask veterans of the industry, so I've been in this industry now about seven years in one way or another. But if you talk to people who've been there since the 90s, to them, this is really depending on who it is, it's either the second or third wave of information security startups. 
So uh, for, for most startups and tech startups in general, obviously the recession was a big lag time. But if you look at like when McAfee and a lot of the other original antivirus and endpoint tools were created, or even look at Palo Alto Networks and mm-hmm. FireEye, those were created in the last kind of wave of InfoSec startups. What we've done is we've forgotten all the ones that didn't work out, right? But we'll still remember, let's say, the Duo Securities, the Zscalers, the Octas of the world, and we'll forget about, you know, the 300 others just from 2018 that were funded and didn't work out. Well, I like to end on a somber note, so... Yes, doom and gloom, Thank you for coming to tell me about how bullshit this industry can be. Yes, absolutely. I'm always happy to talk about uh, all of the FUD and buzzwordiness in the industry. So thank you for having me. This week's episode was produced by Lorenzo Franceschi Bicchierai, recorded and edited by John Northcraft. Thanks for listening to Cyber, and we'll be back next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 